I hope you have a Bible with you today. Please turn there, if you would, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. As we continue our series, Coming to Grips with Suffering, this is part six of seven parts. People say, was there a reason that there are seven parts? No, that's how it worked out. Nothing deep spiritually, although seven is the number of completion, but that wasn't in the plan. It's just how it worked out. We've seen many reasons for suffering as we've gone through our series so far. We saw really the biggest reason for suffering is that mankind has sinned. And there is sin because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And we are under the curse of sin in this world. That's why Jesus came was to fix what man messed up. And he accomplished that, of course. And that becomes yours when you trust in him as your personal savior. But that doesn't change the fact that there's still the results of sin in the world. We're still suffering because of that. The very fact of death, physical death, is the result of that as well. And so the main reason there's suffering in the world to begin with is because of sin. We also saw that there's suffering so that people will turn to the Lord and be saved, so that they will understand their need of a Savior and trust in Jesus Christ the Savior. We saw another reason for suffering was ignorance of God's Word, because when you're ignorant of God's Word, you're ignorant of the answers to life, which are found in this book, the Bible has all the answers that God wants us to have. They're all here. And uh, so ignorance of God's word, people make a lot of wrong decisions and they end up paying a price for that in suffering. The result of rebellious living, people who just say, you know what, I want to go my own way. I don't care about God. I want to do my own thing. I want to live basically, I'm a human being created in the image of God, but I want to live like an animal. Well, you're going to pay the price for that, unfortunately. That's rebellious living. We also saw one reason for suffering is chastening. The chastening of God, where God disciplines his children and is teaching them and instructing them through suffering. And and so where they learn life lessons, lessons that they wouldn't learn otherwise. It's an important one to remember. We saw another reason was to suppress faith in ourselves, to suppress faith in ourselves. God doesn't want us trusting in ourselves. He wants us trusting in him. We saw that another reason was to demonstrate the power of God in our lives. And uh, when we are weak, then we are strong because God's grace then, when we are humble, Humble yourselves in the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you, okay? He'll lift you up. And so when we are humble, when we are submitted to the Lord, that's when we experience his strength in our lives, given to us through his grace. And we saw last time also that another reason there is suffering is to manifest God's love in our lives, that there are times when we are going through difficulties and we end up having to run to the Lord And uh, we're going through a hard time. And sometimes what God does is he manifests his love in our lives through other people, uh, other believers. They are his hands and his feet. And we know and experience the love of God because of the difficult time we're going through. And yet at the same time, people come or the Lord just blesses us with the reality and a knowledge of his presence at a time of difficulties. And, And we come to realize, you know what? I am so glad God loves me. I know God loves me. Well, let's move on today. One related to these last three that we have covered. Number nine, why we suffer. To teach us how to rest in the Lord. 
to teach us how to rest in the Lord. This is a necessary lesson in the Christian life. Jesus talked about the issue of rest in Matthew chapter 11, didn't he? And let's look at those verses beginning in verse 28. It says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That sounds like a little bit of suffering there's going on. Somebody who's heavy laden, burdened down with things, things that are weighing on you, things that are making life difficult, okay? Or maybe it's an intense type of suffering you're going through. What does Jesus say? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He promises us twice in this passage, rest, okay? Rest, repose, relief. You know what rest means. You know how it is when you're resting. God wants us to experience his rest. But one of the ways that comes is through us experiencing suffering. And that again leads us to the throne of grace. This is why he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me. He is the source of our rest. It is trusting the Lord and relaxing in the fact that he is in control and will work all things out for good in our lives. Many years ago, and I'll make reference to him again shortly, my dear friend who's with the Lord now, Pastor Jack Weaver, I can remember when it was part of his ministry, I, had, I was heading towards graduation at Bible college, and I didn't quite know exactly what I was going to do. And, and uh, at that point, actually, it was earlier than that. I take that back. It was earlier than that. Another pastor that I was uh, living with, sharing a place at the time, he was moving to Colorado. Sue was moving to Colorado to finish up there at Colorado Bible College. And I was just kind of, you know, the, the two people that meant an awful lot to me, her more than him, but I liked him too. He was a great guy, but not on the same level. I was just kind of beside myself. I mean, I, what am I going to do? I, it, yeah, I don't know what it is. You might say, well, that's not a big deal. What it, it, well, it isn't today. You know, today it's not a big deal. But then it was a big deal. Because I had never been in that situation before where I was. Now, this may sound strange to you folks, but here I was, a young man, a young believer. I had never lived by myself in my life. Well, I'm not my type, okay? (laughs) And so, please, Lord, don't stick me with me. You know, but anyways, there were just a lot of things going on, a lot of shifting, adjusting and so forth. And I was just kind of freaked out by the whole thing. And I remember going and spending time with Pastor Weaver and, you know, and he knew it. He knew it because he knew me well at this point. I'd done youth ministry for him for several years and we were very, very close. He was like another dad to me. And um, he said, which was typical of him because this is the way he lived his life. He's an amazing man. He said, Tom, you just need to learn to relax in the Lord. I said, what's that? I mean, hey, young guy, excited. You're working with junior high kids, so you have to be excited. You, it, it takes a special person to work with junior high kids and survive. I mean, special. And I, what, what is that? I don't know what you mean. Well, he had to try to explain it to me. He said, you just need to relax. You need to just rest 
in the Lord. It's going to be okay. And the more we talked, the more I started understanding what he was talking about. And what happened was it came to a point in my life. It was like a breakthrough moment in my life where I said, I get that. Okay, I get that now. And there was such freedom and so much peace in that. But trials and testing had come. And and what I realized, it exposed weakness in my life, which drove me to the throne of grace. So I was coming unto the Lord. I was laboring. I was heavy laden. And Jesus gave me rest. And ever since then, there are times when I have counseled with people who are going through the exact same thing And I say this, you need to learn to relax in the Lord. Now, let me explain to you what that means. And I try to explain it, and hopefully they gain from that. But folks, many, if not all of us, have been there at one time or another. We will be there again, probably in the future, to be challenged. Are you resting in the Lord by faith? Are you resting in him? Are you just laying down, in, in a sense, in Christ and surrendering everything you have into his hand? Father, I am in your hands. I'm trusting you with my life. You are good. See, but when we're suffering, we want to see an end to the suffering, don't we? And you know what? That's totally human. Nobody who's suffering is like, I love this. I love suffering. I like it when life is so hard, I can't hardly stand it. No, very few people are that way. The ones who are are sick, all right? But you see, when it comes to suffering, folks, God wants us to learn to rest in him because he doesn't tell us when the suffering is going to stop. It may not in this life. Then again, it might. But that's something that is up to him. It's an issue of God's time according to God's purpose. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? Maybe God, dear friend, is allowing suffering in your life because you have to learn how to rest in the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, in verse 6, it says this, Be careful for nothing. Now in our King James Bible, the word careful means uh, anxious, the idea of being anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. You know, I I love the way our our Bible is phrased. You know, God could have said everything, made it one word. But I think the split here is an emphasis. See, when we think of everything, we just kind of think of a bag and everything's dumped in. But when you think of everything, what do you think of? Taking each thing out of the bag and looking at each one of them. Looking at each one of them. The Lord says this, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, every situation, every detail, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that's faith. We give it to the Lord, we leave it with him, and we thank him for taking care of it. We thank him for his part in taking care of the situation. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You can write this down. My life will never be out of control when it is under the Lord's control. And what I need to realize is that I need to let him control my life. Now, I know ultimately he's in charge. I understand that. I know God is working. But you know, to consciously take my hands off of it and say, I'm resting in you. 
Lord, I don't understand everything, but I know this suffering, this difficulty I'm going through in life, I am resting in you to take care of this. I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you for this. And when we do, it says the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Look with me. I know I've quoted it several times during this series, but look with me over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Tremendous, tremendous verse. You might almost culminating the, the great, great explanation of salvation from Romans 1 through Romans 8. Here towards the end of Romans 8, it says in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Look at that. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Question, do I love God? Well, if I love the Lord, I don't have to worry about if things are going to turn out or not. They are going to turn out. He's controlling. I'm looking to him by faith. I'm trying to, desiring and trying to walk with him by faith, all right? Trusting him as I live my life. The Lord says, listen, don't worry. Don't worry. I've got it. I'm going to take care of it. Rest. Rest in me. I've got it all under control. By the way, don't you love it when there's some circumstance that's a kind of crazy thing going on and you go to somebody with worries and concerns and this person, this person in charge, you know them to be a competent individual and they say, hey, got it all under control. It's like, okay, good. Guess what? God has it all under control. I can rest in him. Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Boy, that is powerful. So we see that one of the reasons for suffering that God either sends it into our lives or allows it to come into our lives is to teach us how to rest in the Lord. But let's move on. And this next one is a, is a big one. And I dare say we don't think about this often enough. Number 10, to make us comforters of others. To make us comforters of others. If I could put it this way, once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are enrolled in the university of adversity. Your education has just begun. You might say, I don't want to go to that school. You're enrolled. I didn't enroll. You're right. God enrolled you. And adversity is going to be there in our lives. Why? Because that is part of the process of our present tense sanctification. That is part of the process of God setting us apart more and more to himself and making us more pure and holy in our lifestyles. Adversity brings that. It's just like the fire used to refine a gem. The Lord puts us through suffering so that we can truly relate to the sufferings of others who go through the same thing down the road. This makes us effective for him. As he uses us as tools for ministry in others' lives, then he is glorified. And can I tell you this? We are pleased. By the way, it's okay to be pleased that God used you. Can I say 
listen, I know there's some snooty, highbrow believers out there. Well, you know, you should never be pleased or, or this or that. You know, praise God, always praise God, always praise God. Amen, always praise God. But friends, there's nothing wrong with the joy of being used by God in somebody else's life. Come on, loosen up on that, okay? Enjoy it. What joy it is to be used by God in another person's life. That's fine. Paul talked about it. Is it okay, by the way? Paul talked about it. You might say, where did he talk about it? Well, let me just read it to you. It's a little bit of a detour. I don't want you to turn here because of time. Paul talked about the Thessalonians. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Joy, finding joy that God used us in others' lives to bring them to Christ, to bring comfort to them, to help them. For somebody to say down the road, you know what, if it wasn't for you, I probably wouldn't be serving Christ today. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? You know what? That brings great joy in a person's life. There's nothing wrong with that. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1. Now, if you happen to be somebody, you hear this message or you watch it on YouTube or sermon audio or something, and you know, you want to argue with me about that, okay? Don't even waste your time. Don't even waste your time. You know, I'm finding this almost 64 thing to be pretty liberating. (laughs) I figure, you know, I've got more of my life behind me than in front of me, most likely. And uh, I've got to use it wisely. I don't have time to argue with people. I mean, hey, if you disagree with me, do your own ministry. Okay? We're just going to keep going, keep proclaiming, keep teaching by the grace of God and trust him with that. By the way, I had a, a neat, I'm in correspondence with another friend, made another friend this week. We got like four different emails this week from all over different places, some here in the States, some other places. This one's South Korea, an American teaching English as a second language in South Korea and connected the other day. And we're going back and forth about some, some things. It's so encouraging. The guy's crystal clear on the gospel and I just praise the Lord for that. But it's, it's wonderful to fellowship with people and to, to encourage them in the ways of God to keep going. And you know what? God wants to use us all in that way. Now, getting back to the point, though, this issue of suffering. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul says this. And by the way, remember what I said about 2 Corinthians last week? It is the book, it is the most autobiographical book, letter that Paul wrote. God allowed him to write it. And I think one of the main reasons we have 2 Corinthians is to understand what it's like to live for Christ and to suffer because of it. You see that all the way through in the life of Paul. And it's very interesting what he says here in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort whereby we ourselves are comforted of God. See, what are you saying? Four times in two verses, it uses a form of the word comfort. 
Folks, the Lord doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. When we are in trouble, when we are suffering and God comes to our aid and we see his deliverance in our lives and we see him take us out of the pit and put us on stable ground and deliver us, guess what? We've got a testimony and we've got an account, a real life account to where, listen, I was going through this in my life. I want you to know God is real. He's not just somebody we read about. He is living today. And let me tell you what he did for me. And when we have gone through tremendous suffering and trial and difficulty in life, and the Lord comes and he brings us through that, we have learned some life lessons that are truly the issues of where the rubber meets the road, where things can get tough in life. And we have seen God bring us through that. And you know what, folks? That helps us and that equips us and that trains us and gets us ready down the road to where God is going to bring maybe another believer or several into our lives to where we are going to say, I can help that person. Okay. Now, not in an obnoxious way, like a know-it-all, but you know what, what that person's going through? I've been through that. I do know what that's like. Take for an example somebody who loses a child. One of your children dies, whether disease or an accident or something like this. Devastating, a devastating. I can't even imagine what it would be like to go through something like that. I can't even imagine it. We, every single night, we pray for the safety of our children and our grandchildren. Every night. We don't want to take it for granted. For somebody to go through that, as incredibly difficult as that is, child of God, God can bring you through that. And some of you have been through that. And can I say very clearly today, God bringing you through that, one of the reasons he brought you through that is now you have gone through what that's like. And you are somebody God can use in a very unique way in the life of somebody else who's going to go through that same thing. See how improper, if I could use the word, it is for us to say to somebody who has just gone through something devastating, and we have not gone through that, for us to say to them, "Ah, I know how you feel. No, you don't. You don't know how they feel. Have you gone through that? Well, then you don't know how they feel. It would be appropriate to, if you're going to say anything, to maybe say, I'm really sorry. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how you feel, but I'm going to pray for you. I want you to know I'm here for you. That's appropriate. Or sometimes the best thing to do is just zip it up and just sit there. If they want to talk, they will. And if they don't want to talk, that's okay. When you leave, give them a hug. Tell them you're praying for them. Sometimes that's the best thing we can possibly do. How about a widow or a widower, somebody who loses a spouse? Okay. I can't imagine what that would be like. But for those who have been through that, you have a unique opportunity Now, I'm not saying be forward with it. I'm just saying if opportunity arises, and especially if that person who's gone through that knows you have gone through it, don't be surprised if, in a sense, hey, you've been through what I'm going through. Can I talk to you about it? You've got something to offer to that person. How about a woman who's had a late miscarriage? Folks, make no mistake about it. That's a child. That's a child, not a blob, not a lizard or an ape or something like that. 
It's a child. How about someone who has had cancer or some other serious illness and has gone through brutal treatment? They have a unique ministry, okay? How about a pastor who has gone through many trials and tribulations in ministry? Most people cannot relate to a pastor who goes through those kind of things except another pastor. You might say, now don't be one of these. Well, where's the Lord in all this? Oh, come on. We know where he is. He's exactly where he's always been. We know that. We get that. But you know, folks, it's wonderful for another believer to be his hands and feet in our lives. It's all the Lord. We know that. How important this is. Now, let me say with all of these, with that, a word of caution, just because a person has gone through a certain trial doesn't mean they'll be a good comforter. It depends on how they responded to what they went through. To go to the wrong person for comfort and help simply because they went through it can be a disaster. They may discourage you more than encourage you. But see, we need to keep the perspective, if God has brought this into my life, this thing of suffering, we need to keep the perspective of, you know what? God has brought this into my life. Lord, first of all, I'm going to thank you for this because that's what the Bible says and everything give thanks for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. He's in control. And then Lord, as I go through this, I pray your Holy Spirit would teach me and that I would learn life lessons. Have you ever considered that issue of suffering to very possibly be a gift from God in your life to where God now has given you this thing and now it's so equipped you to where you are going to be such a blessing in the lives of others because of it. Let me give you another one. Another reason for suffering is to give believers a hunger for heaven. All right? To give believers a hunger for heaven. I know there are some who may see this as a cop-out but it is. And oh, you Christian, you just want the rapture to take place so you can leave the world. Amen! <laughs> Listen, if you don't believe that, you don't know your Bible. Matter of fact, I preached on this not too long ago. There's nothing wrong with that. It's biblical. Paul, who I consider to be a spiritual man, he talked about it often. Peter talked about it. Another reason for suffering, again, to give believers a hunger for heaven. For a believer to want to go to heaven is not a sinful desire, it's a biblical desire. The Lord puts this into the believer. But the main desire we should have is to please the Lord with our lives and serve him until he takes us home. That should be our main desire. Why? Well, because the very fact, you know, I've, I've had Christians who have failed miserably say this, do you think God can still use me? I feel like, I don't know if God can still use me. And I say this, are you still living? Well, yeah, well, then God can use you. When he's done with you, he'll take you home. But that's his time, not yours. That's up to him, not you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to carefully just read a passage, okay? It's, it's a little longer than what we usually do, but uh, it's a continual thought, and it's important that we get it together here. 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to begin in verse 15. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15. Paul says this, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, or we don't lose heart. 
But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We're going through sufferings, we're going through afflictions, we're going through trials. The outward man, physically, perishing, but the inward man, the spiritual part of us, is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, his affliction was not light. His affliction was a lot more, folks, than what most of us will ever go through. But he considered it light because he had the biblical perspective on it. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He was looking at it from heaven's perspective. 5.1, for we know that if our earthly house, this body, of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. I was just talking to somebody uh, recently. I know I've talked to my wife about this as well. I'm at a point, I I think maybe it's more habit than anything else. I'm at a point where uh, sometimes when I go to sit down, I go, ah, sit down. Then you get up, "Uh," and all day long it's, ah, ah, ah. And I just realized it's totally biblical. Look at it, verse (laughs) 2. For in this we groan. I told myself yesterday, self, you need to stop that. You need to quit making noises when you get up and down. It's disruptive. You're laughing because you do the same thing. Look what he says, though, seriously. For in this we groan earnestly desiring, earnestly desiring, to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. He was earnestly desiring to go home and be with the Lord. Now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest or the down payment of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. If you were to ask me right now, pastor, would you rather be here or be in heaven? I would say I'd rather be in heaven, but I'm glad to be here too, because I don't want to go there until God wants me there, okay? I want to, and God knows my heart, I want to be a blessing to people. I want to be used of God, but when my day is done, he'll take me, or we get raptured. I think of my dear friend I mentioned earlier, uh, Pastor Jack Weaver, for many of his last years, this man was extremely sick. He had a blog site, expreacherman.com. He was affecting people literally all over the globe. Wonderful man of God, sweet-spirited, godly man who saw the issues of the gospel and was a great contender for the faith. And again, he was, the, he was our pastor down in, in Miami 
Uh, we were there, then we, we kind of, I moved away from Miami and kind of was different places in the world, came up here, we kind of drifted apart, Not, nothing bad between us, it just, you know how it is, absence, you're not talking, you're not seeing, and those things happen over the years. And then it seemed like in his last few years, he, he brought us back together and we became very, very close. He struggled terribly his last few years, and this man was so ready to go home and be with the Lord. But you know what? He just kept going. He kept going. I did his memorial service, and I I wrote his, I texted his oldest son, Mike, this morning. And I said, good morning, Mike. Hope you and Cindy are well. Things are good here. Say, I'm doing a series on suffering, and I was wondering if you would be so kind as to tell me the many ailments your dad had when he went home to be with the Lord. I want to mention him in my message today, but I want to get things right. Any help is deeply appreciated. I truly miss him. Thanks. It was right before the service I got this text. Hi, Tom. Just now reading your text. Hope I'm not too late in responding. He's 85 years old. He had asthma, aspergillosis. Not even sure what that is. His renal gland didn't send proper signal to bone marrow to make red blood cells. Not sure the medical name. He had macular degeneration. He had emphysema, terrible issues with his lungs. And he had a heart valve replacement. And and by the way, he didn't even mention this here. The man was almost completely blind. And he's corresponding with people all over the world all day long. And we talked and many times, you know, I'm so ready. I'm so ready to go home, be with the Lord. He says, but I know it's in his hands. He's going to keep me here as long as he wants, and he's going to take me when it's time. And I said, that's absolutely the truth. You know, Paul, uh, I talked about it, but Jack was, faith- Jack was faithful to the very end of his life. You see, when we suffer, it can increase our desire to see the Lord face to face. This gives us hope and puts us in a scriptural state of mind. That's why the Bible talks about the coming of Christ being the blessed hope. The Bible word hope doesn't mean, I hope maybe it will happen. No, it's the joyful anticipation of something God's promised. That's the idea. It's the Greek word elpis. Okay, it's, that's, the, that's the true idea of the word hope that we find in the New Testament. Paul talked about it, okay? He said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. Listen to this. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, what about believers who are suffering in tremendous pain? And can I tell you, we have some of those in our church, some of our seniors. Oh, how they want to be here in church and they can't come because of their pain is so severe. Now, I'm not saying this is the case of any of those, but I know what goes through some believers' minds is, you know what? I don't know if I can take this anymore. I'm a believer. I know I'm going to go home to be with the Lord. Maybe I should take my life. No, God is the one who controls life. That's in God's hands, okay? That's why we need to trust him. 
And I know that's easy for me to say, but folks, that is what the Bible says. Okay? You don't know what I'm going through. You are right, but our Father does know what you're going through. And He will take you when the time comes to do that. It is not up to us to end life. The Lord owns our bodies, and it is up to Him to say when a person is to die. It's in His hands, not ours. He is the author of life, not us. Okay. By the way, let me just throw this out there. Euthanasia is wrong. Euthanasia is wrong. And I hate to say it, but it's coming to a hospital near you. Okay. It's getting more and more popular in these United States. It's only a matter of time when this will be an accepted practice, I believe, all over our country. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong on that. Now let's close today over in John chapter 14. Would you turn there? You could be here today and you, you've heard this and you might say, boy, you keep talking about heaven. You keep talking about heaven. I want to go there. Well, God wants you to go there. God wants you to live forever with him in heaven. Jesus was asked by one of his disciples, how can we know the way? In other words, to the father's house, to heaven. And Jesus said it in John chapter 14. We're going to look at verse six. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now let me explain why that is such a powerful... By the way, there's four absolutes in that verse. Jesus is the way, not one of the ways. Jesus is the truth, not one of the truths. Jesus is the life, not one. And only by him do you get to heaven. You know what that excludes? That excludes you and me as the way to heaven. Look up here. Let me explain it to you. This hand representing you and me. Let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are. We're sinners. We all have sin on us. God loves us. He hates our sin. Heaven is a perfect place. For us to get there, we have to be without sin. Completely sinless in the eyes of God. No sin. Now, we're all sinners. Therefore, by that very fact, we are disqualified. We cannot get to heaven. You might say, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard. Okay. That's like if the pages of my Bible represents a whole lifetime of good works. You take your whole lifetime of good works and you say, well, look, look, look at all the things I've done there. No, God says your sin has to be gone if you're going to get into heaven. It has to be gone. Well, God says the only payment for sin, it's not good works. The only payment for sin is death. If we are going to pay for our own sin, we'll have to die physically and then spend forever separated from God in hell. Now, God doesn't want that for any of us. As I mentioned, good works won't do it. The Bible says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. God, though, does not want us to be lost forever. And so what he did, he himself came to our rescue. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. He took on flesh, this hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and when Jesus went to the cross, he went there to pay for my sins. He went there to pay for your sins. And that's exactly what he did. He died. He took those sins upon himself and he died in our place. He made the payment for us, died, came back from the dead three days later. And the Bible says this, if you will believe or put your trust in Jesus Christ that he made that payment for you, he will give you as a free gift everlasting life. You can know you're going to heaven because God promises it to you. John 3.16 says it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, you put your faith in him, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting 
life. See, a lot of people think, oh, Jesus is necessary, but he's not enough. I also have to do that. Well, then, if you have to do good works to get to heaven, friend, now remember, you're already disqualified, so how many good works are going to take away your sin? None. A death payment has to be made. Death is the only payment for sin. You'll either put your faith in Jesus Christ that he died for you, and you're accepting the payment he made, or else you're saying, no, I will take care of it myself. I think I can be good enough by the way I live to get to heaven. You can't. You're already disqualified. You'd have to spend forever in hell if you're going to pay for your own sins. God doesn't want that for you. That's why he sent Jesus. And if you will believe or trust in him as your savior, he'll give you everlasting life. You become a child of God. All your sins are gone. If all your sins are gone, can you go to heaven? Yes. He'll give that to you. It's a gift. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's the payment he made that gets you to heaven. I urge you today to trust in Christ as your Savior. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.